Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. Met a ghost of a king on the road when I first fell. Fire burning to my knees, to my knees I fell. Met a ghost of a king on the road. We're live, back in studio. Are we? Is this live? We're doing a live show? <laughs> we are a live. <laughs> we are both living. <laughs> Some of us barely. Living and doing a show. We're doing, we're potting a cast. And in, we don't have any guests with us today. None. It's just the original two. Boom, 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 boom. Well, we hope you all enjoyed blahblahkids.com. This is my chance to do a sales Oh, yeah. Pitch. We talked about blah, blah. Yes, we did. Buy it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've already seen concerned things. That you are publishing a book that teaches people to be different. Oh, no. Because that's a little bit of a Disney message. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> I also just looked it's it up. It's also from the book of Samuel, but you know. <laughs> also, Romans 12, too, says, do not be conformed to this world. Can you imagine? Which equals be different. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what would be great? Would be pretty great. Would be to write the opposite version of, of Blah Blah Black Sheep, where it's like a little sheep that learns to totally and completely conform to the use. Ooh. Like, ooh. <laughs> it cut, that one cuts a little different. <laughs> and, then we, and then we just named that one the history of the evangelical church. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so. There we go. There's our stinger. That's the sound bite we for the We should have written a picture book about a little boy sheep who has to learn to act like a little girl sheep. That would have been better. Cut off the horns. Dye yep. the wool. Stand still with all the aunties. Yep. <laughs> And we can name that one. Yeah. Yes, please. I want people to be different. Remember, I am the kind of person who's very proud of his sons for ending up, you know, uh, in conflict with the law enforcement officers of our local mu municipality. Um, really proud of my kids for protesting illegal arrests and illegal use of authority and for ending up... Uh, up against a brush guard of a cop car and on the sidewalk in cuffs and you're still suffering for that yeah for that pride yep um my my oldest my oldest son is his criminal appeals going up before the idaho supreme court and we're still fighting the fight we haven't stopped kicking how many, how and many bleeding and howling like wolves at night that is what we do and sorry like black sheep <laughs> yes that's the proper metaphor we don't howl like wolves we howl like black sheep howling yeah. like blah wolves. if you've read the blah, book blah 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 <laughs> yeah um yeah. The, the fact is compliance is absolutely deadly and non-compliance can be righteous or unrighteous you know it's not uh you know and of course compliance can be righteous and unrighteous i was, I was well. going to say excuse um, me all things, like all the paths can, but the one is one's harder. Courage is difficult. Uh, it yeah, is, compliance it's still is easy. Astounding, astounding to me how many churches said, "Why, yes, worship is something that the local municipality can cancel whenever they want, um, and and just keep it canceled." Yep, we'll do that. Um, our mayor can decide that we're not allowed to sing to the creator of the universe. Um, Yep, we'll comply with that. Right. How, like, when you look at the the broad church, ask yourself: Do we need more compliance or more non-compliance? Like, we obviously need courageous Gideons, uh, Davids. Right. We need we need guys who just fear God and no man. Oh, we just need a ton of them. So, yeah. thus the reissue of blah blah black sheep. Order it now, and <laughs> be as offended as you like by the non-compliance. And cancel your subscriptions to Canon Plus and peace out. Go find go find somewhere like Netflix where you can just stand and bleat and comply. Mm -hmm. Chew your cud. Yep. Yeah. Do it. Uh, we went to the library. No one likes you. We went to the library book sale. Okay. Uh, which is always a a devastating picture of the state of our current publishing system. But the ladies at the door were wearing masks again. Still, of course they were. And it. That is just the clearest example as they try to pitch me on becoming friends of the library so I can get in even earlier to get the best books before they're gone. And then I realized I'd be you handing know, you. I, the only times I didn't do this is because I just didn't have time. But in all those situations, people would. 
at me behind their mask and I would say, I'm sorry, I am hearing impaired. Can you please take your mask off to talk to me? <laughs> and that's actually true. By yeah, the way. <laughs> and, then they, and they would just, uh, I'm like, yeah, would you mind? Like, I'm deaf in this ear. Would you mind taking your mask down when you speak to me? And oh wow, they were just torn. But I liked using the phrase "hearing impaired," right? You know, that one cuts um, right along with the you, yeah, yeah. the you like, sensibilities, <laughs> the flock sensibilities. Well, then, Hear the word. And then impaired. they would pull it down tentatively and and speak. You know, yeah. And then um, yeah, it would it would be a whole a whole drama. That's interesting. Um, I did it to many people. I my favorite because I wouldn't say I can't hear you when I could. I would just say I'm hearing impaired. Could you take your mask down when you speak to me? My favorite was doing that to people, and I did this probably. I want to. I want to <laughs> say you're such a glutton. A for this solid sort of dozen times, <laughs> uh, where people would come up to me and tell me to put my mask on. And, oh, and, and, and I respond by saying, uh, you know, I'm hearing impaired. Would you mind taking your mask off when you talk to me? And just because I wanted their mask to be off when they're telling me to put mine on. <laughs> and, and there were, it was, it was pretty funny. There were mixed reactions. People were confused. But my, my favorites were the people who would actually just fully take the mask off and say, you need to have your mask on. And I would say, you don't. <laughs> but <laughs> That right there is logic, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. And I don't ever want to be in those years again. They were the worst. Yeah. They were not fun but i ha i made the lemonade that i could yeah that i guess if that's lemonade <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah so my boys my my particular sons who are black sheep wearing their hijabs running around well the, uh, hilariously we're not running around walking calmly through downtown moscow slapping their protest stickers on things i actually in reading i was rereading I, I know we're not talking about sticker gate today um but i was just reading it right when i walked in for this podcast the, the latest legal briefs but the prosecution in our criminal appeal the people who are still fighting insist one of the things insisted is that the stickers were advertising because they were prosecuted under an ordinance that forbade advertising uh handbills but no one's ever been prosecuted under that ordinance but they were trying to make it a, the the stickers and they were trying to maintain that the stickers were in fact advertising because they are soviet moscow enforced because we care and they argue that they were advertising because they were bringing attention to an organization a unity which called itself soviet moscow which was opposed to the mask ordinances what it was like <laughs> like you morons <laughs> so hold on what? <laughs> it was like what that is not logic <laughs> yeah it's like wait you think they were advertising a group called soviet moscow which they were a part of like no incorrect they were calling you soviets it's like you were being insulted as soviets now this is just lawyers arguing way after the right. fact but the fact that lawyers arguing way after the fact we're still saying stuff like that and not understanding there were illegal arrests. These are the protests in response, calling you Soviets. And they're thinking they're advertising their group, which they were calling. So they were being pro Soviet Moscow. Right. It's like, you don't even, they don't even think that they don't even, they don't even actually believe that they know who we are. They know we're Wilson's. They know all that stuff. Yeah. And they, they did that. This was at the district court level. They made that case and won. like that judge just waved it through. Like, yep. Moscow wins, and so we're off to the Idaho Supreme Court. But anyway, how anyway. many levels are there above that? Uh, by the way, if you're tired oh, of hearing know. about this, imagine how na tired Nate is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have a little bit of what the French call fatigue. Yeah, um, <laughs> is that what they call it? Um, I am not French. I wouldn't know fatigue. Um, <laughs> the uh, no, we're st we're still throwing punches and and swiping credit cards and doing, well, doing mean, what we need to do. The championship rounds. The, uh, that's, that's the, what we're the in. correlation with the writer's strike was a pain, was a pain in the rear end. But there have been uh, some, some great people out there who have not forgotten about it. It's a long, this kind of fight is a long, brutal fight. Yeah. And, and there, there have been some great folks and old friends who've supported our, our legal defense from afar and are very much appreciated as they lend a hand in this weird little narrative side quest 
that that we that we have going on. So yeah, black sheep, black sheep, and all this to say, be different, black sheep. the The goal is not compliance when when compliance is is moronic. When all your friends like Taylor Swift, it's not bad to be the one saying that's dumb. <laughs> When the whole world is saying, inject horse manure in your arm and it will cure all that ails you. It's it's not bad to be the one saying, how about I don't? Yeah, there's mom wisdom in the, if everyone jumped off a cliff, would you do it? Yeah, would you, would you do it too? <laughs> I actually, and let me just pile into pop culture right here. I hear, I hear the latest rumor mill is that Travis Kelsey, tight end of the Kansas City Chiefs, is dating Taylor Swift. And I would just like to point out, is it any coincidence that on the game day where he decided to have taylor swift show up was also the very first game day that he ever appeared in a commercial promoting vaccination to me covid vaccine mm-hmm. and so travis kelsey was in pro, like government like pro i think it might have been walgreens or whatever but he was in this pro like come get your covid vax ad and i thought taylor swift you've destroyed the man Already. compliance he's complying yeah he's so tough he's such a good football player he's such a dork now right he he's just been he's one of the u's he is now travis kelsey you are a u e w e a fake u i guess we're talking about no, the dog. Uh, sadly he's authentically a u uh within this metaphor the authenticity is compliance he's standing and bleeding also it's our metaphor so we can do it like the ritz <laughs> it's our metaphor he's bleeding like the the rest of the female sheep I In never I never feel more like a sheep than when I cannot escape the news that no. Taylor Swift is watching an NFL game for the first time. Who cares? Also that Travis Kelsey's jersey sales jumped insane. I don't understand. Well, here this is a different topic, but I don't understand. Uh, of course I don't know what topic we were already on, but, but <laughs> I haven't uh, had a chance to get yeah, our topic off. But I would I would <laughs> say I don't understand. Taylor Swift was a joke a long time ago. It's like, didn't we deal with her? Is this an issue of like the we we now have zombie pop culture courtesy of Spotify that like just resurrects careers and brings people back to the forefront in a way that well isn't it just the person who figured out that she could make insane amounts of money off of her tour because I mean that to me like just seeing maybe, how much I money, mean like it's because it's she kind of came it's not been like this year like she started coming back but she peaked right. she should have peaked and then she she began to descend and then now she's like double peaked. Well, she like peaked as a country beyond. music artist, right? And then jumped to pop culture. And peaked there. And peaked there. And then kind of, you know, just did what pop culture artists do, where it's like, yeah, Swifties got made fun of. Everybody knew it was dorky. <laughs> you know, and then suddenly. Somehow she's back. Yeah. And she's. Uh, her, you know, her giant music, her mu- music video of herself as a giant monster singing about her insecurities. Wow! I, I watched, luckily, I've not watched anything. You should watch the video no. of your dad reacting no. to that. No, that is pretty funny. No, you have to <laughs> comply. <laughs> I'm not going to. Um, I, I know. I've I know never... enough about her to say, like, why the heck are we talking about Taylor Swift? Why is she back again? So then, who's when, next? So then, when the vaccine, John Cougar Mellencamp, <laughs> right? I'm like, who's coming back through? Why do we have to keep like re-killing these pop culture icons? Well, see, we killed Kanye. We got rid of Kanye, right? And he's yep. the one who had destroyed Taylor. He's off living in his own Star Wars movie. <laughs> <laughs> but, so then, I don't know. That's a good question. The vaccine is a... That's a legitimate theory. Yeah. <laughs> Someone paid... Walgreens paid a lot of money. So I, I don't even understand where it's like, okay, so Taylor Swift is back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I thought we'd phased her out. But I guess maybe we just failed to replace her with a new icon. I don't um, think Doja Cat's going to pull it off because she's too. I mean, it's like, are we going to have to deal with demonic. Katy Perry again? Ugh. Like, I like well, do we have to just deal with these people over and over and over now? Well, isn't it? Does your... anyone have a wooden stake or a silver <laughs> bullet? <laughs> isn't it your family that says when you fail at a challenge the first time, you get to have it again coming around? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when, we... you don't, when you don't pass the test, it comes you know, around of spiritual again. tribulation. So maybe that's the test I'm currently not passing. Yeah. And this is all about me. And as soon as I grow patient enough and compliant enough with the world to get my vaccine and listen to Swift. If you would just go to the concert, we would all be done. (laughs) (laughs) And even knowing that, I still wouldn't. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. Anyway, what what are we talking about today, Brian? Well, the question we I vented my spleen a little bit. Right. Yeah, that's good. It's always good to to vent a little on a, a Tuesday afternoon. But the question we have to do is uh, apostasy. Okay. That's our conversation. The to lead into it a little bit. <laughs> there's that moment when you hear uh, usually a formerly respected evangelical entertainer often musician or artist they come out and they begin to say things like you know what i just started to think about all the things that uh i'd been told growing up and i started i am an ex-evangelical right and that's the the move and you immediately as soon as you i just started thinking about a lot of questions that i hadn't heard answers to and you know the end result of that is the is the the full apostasy but i thought it'd be kind of interesting to talk it's happened over and over again with guys like Derek Webb and Josh Harris and, and uh, you know, a bunch of other enough that NPR has a series that they do on ex-evangelicals where they write about conservative Christian kids who grew up. And then I think the lady who's doing these interviews, well, she has a definite chip on her shoulder, but she does them over. Shocked. Shocked. <laughs> she does like tons of a whole series of them all about conservative kids apostatizing and finding that uh, the phrase is, I think that they're nuns. The, they search for a church that is not a church because they still want something, but they realize. I think they childhood. mostly just found out that, well, the STDs weren't that bad, mm. and they've just they just kind of moved on. I think after after these moments, I look back and wonder how many lines of coke did you do before you started just thinking. I'm just thinking through it. Yeah. Um, this it's all kind of um, it's all kind of basic, yeah. So because the storyline happens over and over again, yeah, and that's why I thought super, it could be good for a podcast to discuss that character arc because it's it is super not, simple. Yeah, it's plain. It's really really simple. Uh, when we've talked about rhetoric, when we've talked about communication, I have said on this podcast, I know, uh, and have said many many times to classes lecturing on the subject that no one is moved by logic. Logic doesn't move anybody just it doesn't you're moved by your affections even for the most analytical on the spectrum people out there they are not moved by logic they're moved by their affection for logic and it's like their their human affections are in different places but the the loyalties loves and loyalties and that's the entire mission of this podcast and what i do with storytelling and everything else is all about catechizing loves and loyalties how do you catechize uh people's instincts for for what they admire. Can we jump into that though a um, little more? When, you, when you're talking about that with the Bible, what do you mean that people are not moved by logic? I guess in maybe one of our, you know, pick something nice and flammable like Credo versus Pedo Baptist. Um, I guess give an example. Can you give an example of what you mean? I guess uh, there are probably true. Do you think there are any true actors out there who are just looking for what the Bible says on the topic? And then I think, I think that you betrayed the deep hollowness of your assumptions by, by calling them true actors. <laughs> okay. You're right. That <laughs> so, is an oxymoron. <laughs> but the, the, my, what, I, what I mean is God made us this way. I think this is a design feature. This isn't a problem. Okay. This is, you know, this is how we've been made. And so that's why narrative and storytelling is, is so important is because God made us to be influenced this way. He made us to, to find our way uh, this way. So we're not a, a circuit that's looking for a true or a false entry. And once that entry goes, you know, the circuit turns on and we're like, oh, we found the right answer. Yeah. We're not computers. We're not simple systems. We don't, have, we don't just do information transfer. The closest we come to being moved uh, by, by syllogisms, by logic, is when we are looking at a situation where we are completely emotionally neutral, meaning we actually do not care at all. So we we don't care. And so if somebody is arguing um, what, like which recipe of chicken sandwich is healthier, whether it's Wingstop or Chick-fil-A, and I don't have either of those franchises near me and I don't really care then I could like do a taste test of the chicken mm -hmm. and I could, you know, or I could, I could sit there and read the studies and, and come to a conclusion that's pretty neutral. Cause I'm mostly just annoyed that somebody's making me think about it. <laughs> and so I'm going to come to a conclusion, but I have no skin in the game at all. When we have no skin in the game, 
in in something in front of us, we can we can kind of like okay, we can follow syllogisms there. Everywhere where we have skin in the game, we cannot. Like mm. we can't. Um, it just doesn't work that way. We're moved by our loves. We're moved by our affections, and by over overwhelmingly. And you can tell this when you're arguing with somebody who has you know some position or whatever, and they they throw their syllogism at you. If you bat it away. And they acknowledge that you batted it away. Now they won't do that because they're they're people, and so they're they're not true actors. They will never admit. They won't say that's a really good point. I see that what I said to you was invalid. You know, mm-hmm. they won't. They'll just move on to the next snowball. They'll just throw the next thing. Right. Um, and so they throw the next thing, and you're like, "Why didn't your position change? You just told me this is the reason for your position. I just refuted that reason. You acknowledge that refutation by abandoning it." And yet you still stand right here holding this position. Um, it's A, because they lied to you. They, it's not the reason for their position. It is not. Mm-hmm. Um, and B, they don't care. They're holding their position because of their own affections and loyalties, not because right. uh, they, they decided in an, emor- in an emotionally neutral way to seek the, the strongest and most valid arguments. Um, it just doesn't work that way. So we're not supposed to work that way uh, and, and can't. So, so you're basically explaining why when we talk, start talking about apostasy, your first question is, how much do you how like? How did your loves change? Yeah. How much do you like cocaine? What like, changed your loves? Gotcha. What? And what? so when somebody, and so what we do is we adopt positions and we adopt positions overwhelmingly for narratival reasons. Uh, we defend those positions uh, with logic mm-hmm. and, and with affection. You know, we use yep. affections and ethos and all that kind of stuff. So we adopt positions because we're characters in a story and we end up in these positions for a lot of reasons. Why am I a Christian? Because I was born into the household I was born into. I'm happy to admit that. That's the narratival cause for my position. Why am I still a Christian after going through philosophy clubs and reading every philosopher under the sun, going through grad school, being having my faith attacked, all this other stuff. Why, why am I still a Christian? Because it's actually the truth. And I've seen it tested. I've seen it tried by fire. Um, you know, I've been in I've been in all the wars, in all those arguments, and so on. Then, um, you know, it's held up. Like so, reason is the thing that we use to defend our faith uh, against outward assault. But it's and it's the thing we use to strip away excuses for other people's positions. But it won't move them. Yeah, it won't actually relocate them. And so, what happens with Christians? Uh, and anybody who changes a position, uh, that's a deep position for them, an identity position. Uh, Christians will start looking at porn. They'll start smoking weed. They'll start doing coke. They'll start sleeping with that girl in the band or that groupie, and you know they'll, they'll go down that road because the sexual temptation came, or the you know the whatever pride, vanity, all these things came, and their affections move them their affections were not disciplined by scripture and by a love of and submission to the word of god they were not aligned that way so their affections were there because they grew up in a certain community and went to a certain school and went to a certain church and that was the bedrock which is pretty crappy bedrock they never actually rooted deeply in god uh, and in his word they were rooting in their own culture in their own little subculture right and then they go to hollywood and they go on the road and they're being successful with their guitar and the girls are lining up outside the stage door and the cocaine is free and mm-hmm. you know and they're exhausted and they need the bump you know like they they get that and at first they feel horrible and they repent and they recatechize their affections over time so they overwhelmingly they start with guilt and then they do it again and they're a little less guilty and they do it again and they're a little less guilty. And then they, then they're just sick of the guilt and they're like, how do I get rid of this guilt? And this is incidentally, uh, something that we all do as humans. And it's unfortunate. We need to like kick ourselves every time we do it. We do it as institutions. We do it as homeschooling families. We do it all sorts of ways. Whenever something's not working, there's, there's two choices. One is we have to, fully revolutionize what we're doing and and recommit to the standard 
like and and correct like really really rededicate ourselves and commit ourselves to pursuing the standard held or we throw the standard away yeah you reach a point where people they want the guilt to stop it's, al- so, it's almost like you read each of these interviews because that is what they say. It's literally like I did porn. I looked yeah. at a lot of porn in high school and felt so guilty, but I went to college and then realized the yeah. guilt. I and could, so what they, they really, this is, I haven't read any of these interviews, but this is just how people work. Yeah. So you get to a place where they want it to stop. And that means they're now at a fork in the road where it's either, it either requires total repentance, complete repentance, and a an abandonment of the life they're leading that puts them in all these positions, all these situations. Right. So turning, turning away, repentance, like absolutely turning away from the life that's destroyed them. Or they're down the road, the wrong yeah, road. They're way down it. So they have to repent and come all the way back. It's exactly, no longer like exactly. Or yeah. they can do what most people do and throw away the standard. Um, I, I see this all the time. I see this, um in sports i see this in academics i see i see this just like in not not big spiritual issues but just there's a very simple imp- impulse that people have of like it's not working we have this standard mm-hmm. we have this old standard say say you're you know you're a homeschooling family and you've got eight eight kids and your first two kids hit a certain level of educational competence and you expected yourself to hit a certain level you expected yourself to have kids who could do really well in the SAT, you know, whatever. Top two did pretty good. Third one, not as good. Fourth one, eh. fifth one, you're like, standardized tests are stupid. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, <laughs> it just, we all, we all do this. Yeah, we do it. Yeah. We just we do, do this. Right. And I, I see it in institutions where, um, you know, it's like, man, we're struggling to, we're struggling to hit a bar that we wanted to hit that we used to hit. Yeah. And, and it's, you you come you have to come to grips with the fact of really needing to sit down have a come to Jesus which is what's funny that that is the phrase used for this when people say we had to have a come to Jesus talk they mean we had to have a full repentance talk like we have to break the system and do this fundamentally differently than we were doing it before because it's not working we're measuring like we're measuring by a certain standard um and we're just not getting above the bar anymore why aren't we getting about the bar? Mm. And somebody will always, 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 because we're humans, say the bar is stupid. Yeah. We, we need a different bar. Like this is just, this is the way it works. Um, and so this is, I've, I've seen uh, in conversations, I've seen people advocate for, and this is like gay classical learning test, I've, but I've seen people advocate for the CLT versus the PSAT. And it's like, you know what? I can take the same kids across and they'll do better on the CLT without any change. There's like over there, there's pre-calc and trig and really, really hard stuff. And over here, it's uh, pre-algebra and algebra. It's like, but our scores can go up immediately. Mm. And that's not, this is just what we do. It's just what human beings do always. So we change the goal. We change the the standard. um, When we can't hit it. When we can't hit it. Yeah. When we can't hit it or or we don't want to do the work to hit it. Right. Oh, uh, when we know we're at this moment of repentance and by repentance I mean if we're talking academics or athletics, we're talking about uh having to fundamentally turn away from how you're doing it mm-hmm. and find a new way of doing it. Yeah. Like we have to find a new way of doing it. Uh and yeah. so when when guys are on the road and they're, you know, Christian Christian musicians, and they're struggling with infidelity and coke. They either need to fundamentally change how they're functioning, right? You know, how they how they function as humans, their model, like their entire business model, their entire approach to touring, their entire approach to their vocation has to change. Or they can throw out the law. They can throw out God's word. Right. And so people do both. Yeah. Like Johnny Cash did one. And Derek Webb did the other. What What did Johnny Cash do? Fully repented. Okay. Yeah, you know, it's like so he, but yeah, he was in drugs and partying and infidelity yep. and everything else, and he repented, and God blessed it, and he he produced some of the best stuff he's ever you know yeah produced at the end of his life, and it was you know it's pretty glorious finale for him, but you know his family's in rough shape, et cetera. But then tons of other people go the other direction. They say, you know what? Let's throw it out. Yeah. 
let's just let's just chuck it the josh ritter way yeah you know totally. have a little bit of gospel a little bit of christianity just enough to give your songs main that much mainline meat. lutheran yeah. um but enough awareness to be able to have that like that spiritual texture to your songwriting mm-hmm. some great songs and then yeah whoopsies now you know i gotta throw that away because i feel terrible about myself and it's not working yeah uh do you think do you think that that uh that basically move, it's all storytelling right <laughs> because you're contextualizing what that what your own life is like yep. what is happening in your own life so you're not yep. you're not uh you aren't measuring it's not scientific that's what you're saying mm. it is it is much more an evaluation of where you're sitting in this particular instance i don't like this and i don't like how i feel yeah. about this right so how do i change how i feel about this and then they throw out syllogisms and logic right and well it's pretty interesting to me to hear like when i was i was reading some of these guys talking about one guy coming from a pretty pentecostal background where he was supposed to have felt the spirit right and instead just got pushed down by his pastor you know his pastor was yeah. like, you're supposed to fall down um and so that for him became the symbol of christianity should have been a black sheep should have not fallen down i don't feel the spirit right now I'm not uh, falling down. Yeah, I'm not doing it. I ain't in, slain. Instead, he did and went the whole James Baldwin, go tell it on a mountain route, you know, where it's, it's you're feeling something very, that you, you have to say, my religious feelings are no longer connected to anything real. Yeah. And it does not really, it, it's all for me. Like, I do this because I want to feel a particular way and I can do that as a Pentecostal or I can do that as a gay man in James Baldwin's yeah. case. But you, you also have um, you have guys like Walter Kern. You've got guys who were successful and smart and lived the life and interacted with religion broadly in different categories. You know, his family converted to Mormonism. You know, they just kind of like ricocheted around. But reaching a point in his life where it's like, I don't like who I am and how I feel. Mm-hmm. Like with the alcohol, with the broken marriage, with like, I don't like it. Mm-hmm this is yuck <laughs> like this is yeah and so you see people convert for the exact same quote-unquote reason but the same narratival impulse is they they reach a place where they they know yeah like everything's out of whack everything's broken i need to fundamentally rearrange how i relate to the world to god to morality yeah and they cry out to jesus and they're forgiven and they end they end up christians with their lives changed and so like Bono actually, I think it was Bono. I don't, I, it's been a long time since I read this, but Bono talked about being a, a Christian and how, you know, the, the fact that somebody who died 2000 years ago, he's seen it change people's lives. Yeah. You know, he's seen, he's seen somebody beat alcohol like now because of somebody who was alive 2000 years ago. Like this is, it's real right now. It's present right now. The grace is real. And that's another example people come from the other direction so right you know people living broken lives and being miserable reach the same kind of fork in the road you know where it's yeah they hate it their affections are broken they want to realign their affections and they cry out to god and it's huge okay so that turn happens yeah once you once you realize that you're miserable because of this sin that you're doing and so you make that flip at that point that's when we get those typical you know apostatizing terms like i'm at i was asking questions the church has never asked and the question is how could there be a how could there yeah how could there be a god and bad things asking questions nobody's ever asked uh on my particular tiktok (laughs) doom scrolls (laughs) i've never encountered really good answers to the problem of evil in my insta reels right um or or you know how do we know this is the true church you know basic stuff like that um uh, the answer is get over yourself i mean like that's just yeah stop it yeah um and be be willing to like find the beautiful and understand the truly beautiful is is a witness to the true and the good and when you find beauty like real beauty uh authentically it's it's got an arrow on it and it's pointing you know right. it points somewhere and you'll also find that people who are faithfully walking down that path actually have written about all those questions yep. that they've asked because <laughs> because it turns yeah. out Thinking through them is part of what I mean. This actually is a, good, this is a good time to give a shout out to Surprised by Oxford out there right now. Oh yeah. So, um, you know, it's a it's there's a book uh, 
and this is actually a common story. Uh, there, there's a book about um, this this woman who went to Oxford as an unbeliever and you know hard bitten, intelligent, you know edgy American thinker, and ends up converting. Uh, basically, yeah. you know, sort of the the C.S. Lewis route right. to conversion. A uh, friend of mine adapted it and directed it as a film called Surprised by Oxford. We Currently him. in theaters. Oh, right now. Okay. Yeah, in theaters right we now. We interviewed him for his book, but I don't yeah. think we discussed. No, we didn't. We the talked. Film we detail. talked about. Um, and I've I've been texting him, pestering him to come on the show because uh, he's currently on set in Hungary directing um, the Pendragon Cycle, um, Stephen Lawhead Cycle. So he's busy. But he has a book coming out too that I want to talk to him about called Winter Fire. That's also awesome. But, but uh, yeah, so he adapted it. He directed it. It's a beautiful film. Uh, it it really is gorgeous, and it's a limited release in theaters right now. And you should check it out. But it's about hard bitten, feministic, edgy girl just being kind of broken down uh, and converting in Oxford. Uh, a friend of mine, another producer, uh, super sharp dude, really, really smart guy, Leo Severino, uh, was telling, telling me about his um, conversion, went to Oxford. And South American parents, American kid, uh, goes to Oxford, super smart guy, decides that while he's there, he needs to read all the Penguin classics. And so he, he would go into, I guess it was Blackwell's there, mm-hmm. uh, and just grab a you know, the next classic. And he was in there and there was a book that was in the, in the row incorrectly and kind of sticking out in the wrong shape. And he pulled it out and looked at it. And it was the problem of pain by Lewis. And so Uh-oh. he should have known. Yeah. I can't read that book. <laughs> and so he took it, he took it home and read it from 7 PM to 7 AM, finished the book and converted like just boom. Wow. One reading through. And it's the, the idea that there are no, there's no instruction. There's no uh, yeah, clues. There's that, that no there are teaching, questions that no that one. There's has questions asked. that have not been grappled with over thousands of years is ridiculous. And overwhelmingly, when people have grappled with them and found the truth, people like C.S. Lewis, uh, their their whole wrestling with it, all their because he's such a gifted writer, he's not laying out syllogisms. He's grappling. He's wrestling with the issue, right. and you relate to him. You connect with him in that uh, in that struggle, and as he finds his eureka, as he finds the, the truth, you find it with him, and it's powerful. Well, one of one well, Nate, one of the most insightful things that I that you said that I keep coming <laughs> back to <laughs> is that that problem of evil is that the answer is easy. Yeah, to the problem of evil it's incredibly simple. It's the emotion that's hard. Yeah, the and this is this is, I think this is when I realized how God made people because I loved apologetics. I thought I would be an apologist. I would be an instructor and then write in the breaks. I thought that I was going to be like, yeah, I'm going to go debate people and, mm-hmm. and wrangle. And in those early days, in those philosophy club days, seeing clearly the problem of evil in discourse and just being like, this is not a logical problem. This is not, this is not actually. Cause the answer is that God allows evil. Um, well, I would say it's very, it's very, very, uh, there are multiple answers that resolve the logic problem. Great. Yeah. How can a good God who's all powerful? Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't agree with Augustine. How could an all good God be, how could an all powerful God be all good and there be evil in the world? And, you know, Augustine goes his route and that was quite a while ago. (laughs) Um, Mm. he wrestles with it and various people go different directions. I don't go Augustine's route, um, not being Greek in my in my philosophy or my ontology. Um, Shots fired, yeah. At the Greeks. Aristotle catches yeah. another stray in the stories of Soul <laughs> yeah, Foods podcast. I, would, I wouldn't call it a stray. <laughs> Mr. I aimed directly at his forehead. Mister Pleated Pants takes another I one. I just bounced. <laughs> I just bounced a paintball off his forehead. Um, but yeah, it's so you grapple with the argument, and you're like, oh, well, so here's Augustine, and this, you know this is an answer and here's um well as i as i would answer it i I would just say that if the logic applied to a human author like you move over and look at it Mm -hmm. say how could an all good author an all good artist what is the nature of goodness what is the world for what is the highest good of the world 
And the good of the world is not our ease. It's not our comfort. Mm -hmm. The good of the world is God's glory. That's the highest good. Um, and evil is not a goop. That's a big, the big thing. Evil is no goop. So how could Tolkien be an all good author and write orcs? Yeah. You know, it's like, could, could Frodo argue for the non-existence of Tolkien using the problem of evil? Absolutely. And it's, it's, a, it's that logic. It's the same right? logic. Okay. And so gotcha. Frodo sits there and says, man, how could there be an author with e evil in the world? And does that disprove the existence of Tolkien? Like, no, of course not. So you know that it logically doesn't work right. when you put it into other places that are the same, you know, same structure and the logic doesn't work. It doesn't apply. Right. Um, well, it's also just a dilemma. And so you can d deny it multiple ways, right? Yeah. He, the, problem, the problem of evil, and I wrestle with it most in Notes from the Tilted World, but the problem of evil is an emotional problem. It so is you, not a logic problem. So you're saying this can be sorted out. It can be answered. Your premise is wrong. A good yeah. God could allow evil. You misunderstand the nature of evil is, right. a, big, is a big part of it. Yep. Um, and you mis misunderstand the nature of goodness, or you're just assuming that goodness is your own ease, right. which it is not. There's so, there's so many layers of assumption, but the fact is none of it disproves the existence of God. Mm. Like none of it is therefore there is no God. There's, it just doesn't get there. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and but what does get there then is your ability to see something terrible happen. Your ability to love God is affected and, by it. Yeah. Your ability, your affections, your for loyalty, God. and yeah. ability to trust are certainly. If, you, if something. you get all hung up on it, you can absolutely struggle with your right. affection for God. This is why my dad has always said, as long as I can remember, that there's two tenets to atheism: there is no God, and I hate him. It's about affections. Like, why are you so ticked off at something that's not there? Yeah. If you really believe it, you know, he doesn't exist. Why are you so mad at him? Yeah. You know, you're mad at him. The problem is you're angry at him and you're saying the rudest thing you can think of, which is you don't even exist. <laughs> you don't exist. <laughs> you're not real. <laughs> you're which not is, real. Which is silly. And it's, no, you're just mad. Like you are emotional and you're angry at God because you went through intense hardship or you saw suffering or Whatever it is has made you rage, but it's rage um, at someone, not uh, a, a logical premise that then you know points you to a conclusion of non-existence. It doesn't get you there, right? Um, so the the problem of evil is an emotional argument. That's why it's effective, is because it actually affects the affections. It pushes people in their affections away from a trust of God and a faith in God. Yeah. But it has to be dealt with that way. It can't be dealt with like, oh, it's a logic problem. If I address the logic, they'll be changed. It's like, no, their affections have to be addressed. Yeah. And so um, overwhelmingly, when you see these ex-evangelicals uh, talk about their stories, they're not telling, there's a lot that they're not telling you, but the, the common thread is guilt and hating how they were feeling in relationship to God and wanting to get rid of the guilt. And there's two options when you're trying to get rid of guilt, forgiveness and repentance, mm -hmm. or uh, lies and denial to yourself and trying to throw away the measuring stick. Right. Like, it's like saying there's, there's two options to not being short. Like you can, you can grow or you can stop measuring. And yeah. you know, it's, that's, that's kind of it. <laughs> <laughs> and didn't say you're not short because right. you don't, and refuse to be measured. Right. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm reminded, all this reminds me of what, your grandpa said always with the man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still like yeah. that idea of, Hey, if you don't want to believe. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about Charlemagne. Want. Shall we? Charlemagne captures a bunch of Saracens and uh, decides and decides to, and decides. <laughs> by the to way, this them. is the thing that blows freshmen's minds <laughs> when Nate does or the did. Charlemagne thing. <laughs> <laughs> or did. So we talk about Charlemagne and he captures thousands of Saracens. He has to march. He's got him behind the lines. Remember, this is pre-Geneva Convention. Um, what does he do with 3,000? I think it was 3,000. Um, but he has thousands of prisoners of war. And he says, okay, everybody who's baptized won't be executed. I'm going to execute the rest of you. Okay. Like, that's, everybody else is getting executed before he uh, heads off to his next battle. Were there any inauthentic conversions that day? Like, sure. 
a lot. Yeah. Were there any authentic conversions that day? Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure there were. Do you think so? Yeah. I mean, if we're going by a Flannery O'Connor rule, then for sure. That is like a perfect But we're talking about about thousands out of (laughs) thousands. Yes. So you think they wrestled with it because they knew what it meant, right? This is King Alfred. This is King Alfred. King Alfred did the same thing with Vikings. Yeah. Um, I mean, if someone came into a Christian town and said, you got to be baptized as a Muslim or die. Yeah. And I did it. I would know what I'd done. Yeah. Like there's no way that you're, you're like, yep. I, I just. It's not a little pretend thing. It's not. I but can't. a bunch of people would lie to themselves and try to say it's a pretend thing. A bunch of people would say, no, I refuse to compromise my die. faith and I'll die for my faith. A bunch did. Right. And then a bunch of other people will authentically convert. I mean, that's it's actually happens. What you just said, though, is the thing that scares everybody about any sort of Christian nationalism. <laughs> right. they're, like, they're like, we're this baptizing Saracen. This was a field of battle. It's a different situation. Um. <laughs> Charlemagne did yeah, this because he couldn't the, keep he, track of three thousand prisoners no. behind the line. Yep. So he could have either killed them all. He could have killed them all or let them all go. Yeah. So he couldn't. No, he couldn't let them all go. But he then he'd lose. He didn't. Have, yeah. He didn't have the men to guard them. Yep. He didn't have the ability to do anything with them. He had to go off to the next battle. He couldn't have them behind his lines. Mm-hmm. So he could have executed them all, but he chose to like give them a chance to convert and not execute the converts. Now. We don't like that. That's bad. At the same time, all he actually did is spare some people that he should have executed. Like we 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 get the the story kind of wrong. Yeah. He could have just killed thousands of people and marched on, and that would have been it. Um, and instead, he he showed mercy, or he just found a sort of inefficient way to convert Muslims, or perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> but he also, if you jump to King Alfred, um, if you jump to King Alfred, and you have Alfred fighting Viking chieftains. When he conquered Viking chieftains, he took uh, that guy, that chieftain down to the water. He stood in as their godfather and he told them that they were going to be offered, they're going to be made an offering to his God the way they had offered his family members to Odin, I think, in the Blood Eagle. So you chop the Blood Eagle, was you chop through their rib cage in the back, um, you spread eagle them on the ground like, like the Romans would. Um, and then you take an axe and if you're really good, you can chop through their ribs twice and you can pull their lungs out their back. And then as they, and incidentally, they're of course, very sensitive contemporary historians who deny this ever happened, but it happened. Um, and so then somebody reaches down into the back of the victim and pulls their lungs out their back and their, their lungs flap with their dying breaths. And that's the blood Eagle. Mm. Um, and there, this is a, a human sacrifice. To the Norse, I think to Odin. I'm not. I'm not an expert in Norse religion, so if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I think it was to Odin. So Alfred had this done to uncles and brothers and his dad. You know, not he didn't do it. It was done yeah, to his. It was yeah, these yeah. Vikings that did, did this. All these men in his family. He conquers. He beats a guy on on in battle. He takes the chieftain and says, "I'm going to offer you to my god," and they think, "Okay, I'm I'm in for it. We're going to do this human sacrifice thing." takes him down to the water, stands in as his godfather, and has him baptized as a Christian. And then tells him, you belong to Christ now. There's actually no intellectual argument here. I don't need to convince your intellect. <laughs> I have given you to my this God. This is how it connects. I was waiting yeah. for it. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't, like, this is it. Like, just straight up, in between the eyes, you no longer belong to Thor. You no longer belong to Odin. You belong to Jesus Christ. And I am your godfather. And you need, you are done. You're done with all of this raping and pillaging. It's over. Yeah. Um, and overwhelmingly, the men he did, and then he gave them a bunch of gifts as his as as Vassals, his godson. Thralls. You're my you're my yeah. godson now. You belong to my god. You've been taken. My, our gods are stronger than your. Uh, my, our god is stronger than your gods. Um, and only one of them actually uh, went apostate. It stuck with all of them. <laughs> mm. They went back and built churches, and they were Christians now. And it's like, what is this? <laughs> like, it's such a bizarre thing for post enlightenment thinkers to realize how, how sucked into this intellectual cycle we've gotten. Um, and the one guy who did go apostate went back and raised another army and, came, and returned to ravage uh, England again. Alfred hunted him down personally on the battlefield and killed him. Um, He's like, well, himself. you are my godson. Yeah, so, so I, you, you're my responsibility and I have to yeah. take care of this. Or I'm going to be the one who kills you. Uh, and he did. Uh, and incidentally, all this is in uh, the White Horse King. 
So by Benjamin yeah, Merkel. Book my brother-in-law wrote when he was at Oxford, um, The White Horse King, great book. Grab it if you can. Um, but it's we don't get that. We think conversions like that are inauthentic. Yeah, we we've really changed the goalpost and changed it from declaring the truth to convincing, which we've spent a long mm-hmm. time. Convincing the about. intellect. Yeah. Right. And and reformed believers overwhelmingly lean towards the convincing of the intellect, mm-hmm. like needing to convince the intellect instead of addressing the affections. You just need to not like cocaine so much. You need, you just need to not be sleeping around so much. Right. Like all this self-loathing you have, um, you know, yeah. it's like it's self-loathing because you're a slave to these other things that you, your affections are aligned toward. We have to break those affections yeah. and get you forgiveness, get you, get you uh, are, into are, repentance. Are you bulverizing all of these apostates? When, when you say this is the reason that they've gone apostate? Yes and no. Um, I would say I would be bulverizing it if I thought the fact that they liked cocaine, they liked cocaine means that their opinions uh, are false. Yeah. Their opinions are false or Christianity is true. No, Mm -hmm. I'm not bulverizing because in the actual movements of culture and humanity in culture, in order to move people, you need to identify the cause of their motion already. And so right. if they're in motion because of their affections, that informs you in terms of how you're going to address them. You need to affect those affections. Right. You need to impact their loves and loyalties, yep. not, not hit their reason. Right. To think that saying, hey, you're only here because you've been really guilty and you're done feeling guilty and you're trying to throw away the measuring stick that makes you feel like you're coming up short. So you're just, you're lashing out against that. I could tell them that. And try to try to affect them, but I have not addressed the logic. And to pretend like I've addressed the logic would be bulverism. So mm-hmm. you're saying this because uh, immediately discredits the position. Like you're right. you're saying this because and thinking that makes the position false doesn't work. You're saying this because and using that to motivate my own actions to try to find the cause of their motion. That is great. That's just wisdom. Nice. And then I think one one last thing we should touch on is the move that then comes with many apostates where they say that they're now in a place of epistemic humility or yeah. you know they're they're happily uncertain. Yeah. Uh, um and that's kind of the final sprinkle. Well, let me just say this. No they're not. <laughs> um you're in Las Vegas. Not betting isn't an option. They're betting their lives. They're betting the the uh they're betting their eternal souls right. on a particular uh, belief. Mm-hmm. They are not in a neutral, I didn't place a bet position. Yeah. You're, you're placing your bet. Um, Pascal can explain that to you because this, this conversation has been going on for some time. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, you're placing the bet of your life and you're betting your eternal soul. You don't get to say, I'm, do- <laughs> I'm doing lots of coke and hookers, but at least I'm in a place of epistemic humility. It's like, no, you're not. You're, yeah. you're placing a wager. Right. And it's a very, very large one. Right. You're betting that God is not real and will not judge you. That there yep. will be no judgment. Uh, that's also, no, that's, hearing, that's hardly humility. Hearing them try to say they're humble too, as they're in the midst of dishonoring their parents and everybody yep. who came before, lashing them, out of their churches, is, and, you know, just saying everything you believed is fake and motivated by Trump yep. and fear of racism or fear yep. of other ethnicities. You know, which is all the move they do. It it is <sighs> it is truly a a, a miracle. I'm glad I've not read reasoning. any of these, but it is we we all live in a casino. Every one of us, we're all going to die. And then the bet's going to be called. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's pretty simple. Yeah. So like, okay. So yeah. you don't get to not, not uh, be mortal. You don't, you don't get to just opt out and say, I'm not placing any bets. Yeah. You're going to stand before the throne room, you know, before the throne, you're going to be judged and you're going to be found wanting, or you're going to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. One of those two. One of those two things is, is, is going to happen. There's not going to be the neutral, tepid pool. Yeah. You know. The happily uncertain pool. Where for the people who are like, I gates. just didn't, I just did a bunch of cocaine just in case because I didn't know. <laughs> I was just super humble. Um, and so I gave in to all my lusts and all my vices out of humility. I, uh, <laughs> I think this will be the real spot we can stop. But you made a comment once that uh, apostasy happens whenever anybody doubles down on one sin yeah over time yeah can you flesh that out a little bit 
Uh, everybody's an atheist in the in the moment of sin. Mm. Like everybody. Yep. So, uh, if if we believed in that moment, and I mean by belief, I mean actual, like just we understood um, that we're in the presence true and of true and concrete God, yeah. true and concrete awareness of the presence of God. Then nobody would, um, nobody would really lie. Nobody would really uh, look at porn. You wouldn't be shouting at your wife or your kids. Yeah. If if uh, you don't, you know, you don't do it when the neighbor's on the couch, let alone when Christ is there. Yeah. You know. So in order in order to sin, believers have to quiet in their heads the knowledge of God's presence. You know, and and his omniscience, and we uh, we just immediately, uh, and the and the healthiest Christians are immediately turning and addressing God after afterwards because they have you know they they're aware of his presence, and so it's an immediate repentance of like oh, I'm so sorry I just did that, mm-hmm. like forgive me for that because they know he's there, they know they just did it in his presence, and they they're addressing it immediately, um, but that act that that lapse that some guy, you know, sort of casually tricking himself into accidentally looking at inappropriate things on the internet. It's like, would you be doing that um, if you were carrying on a conversation with Christ? Would you be doing it if your dad was in the room? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. would it happen? Um, because he is. And you have to, you have to actually kind of numb yourself to that awareness and to that knowledge and become a functional atheist in order to, in order to sidle yourself into sin like that. Mm. Um, when you pray without ceasing, when God is constantly present, when it's a personal relationship, uh, it's a personal relationship and a conversation that's going on all the time. Uh, those moments are more moments of loss of control, but not loss of awareness of his, of his presence. And the repentance is, is just instantaneous. It's immediate uh, because he's there looking at you. <laughs> you know, it's, so. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and that's and so when you do that, and you practice that, yeah, and you it, do it over, you and put over, the light under the bushel over yep, and over again. You do it over and over and over again. You pretend that God's not in the room over and over and over again. Eventually, you pretend he's not in the house. He's not in the world. You know, like you just you keep you keep pushing that. So this has all been about exvangelicals. A bunch of interviews. Apparently, I should not have read yeah, uh, you know i took the bullet for the team yeah thank you brian <laughs> thank you me and aristotle <laughs> but yeah i mean for your for yourselves just know you're you're a narrative creature and your positions which you firmly hold are affected by narrative causes and you end up holding them as an outworking of your character and your past and your present and all the circumstances they can be validated or invalidated by logic, and they should be. You should check them against scripture, and you should check them against reason, but you embrace them or find yourself in those positions overwhelmingly out of uh, your affectionate reflexes, so your loves and loyalties or your dislikes, Um, and we need to be constantly training those. So we have to be training and catechizing our loves and loyalties, and that's why good, healthy storytelling is really, really important. So, and also we need more outlaws by blah, 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 actually. That's a wrap for every small child, you know, and then extras. (laughs) Peace. Hope you enjoyed the episode of SASP. We enjoy having you all share your feedbacks and thoughts with us. Here I have for you the proofs of a new book. You might wonder why I don't have the book itself. Well, it hasn't arrived yet. I wanted to show you some of my favorite parts of Blah Blah Black Sheep. If you're in audio, of course, you're going to have to either uh, go to blahblahkids.com to check it out yourself or watch the video on Canon Plus. But here you can see the friendly grasshopper. Uh, not a super important character, but an, uh, he's on the title page anyway. <laughs> and then uh, the other page, here's the picture of Blah Blah Black Sheep singing the wrong song, Blah. It's great stuff. And then the last two I wanted to show you, this great scene inspired by Tintin and Herjay. Blah Blah's uh, uh, wondering if he should become a pirate, sail the seas. 
Last picture I wanted to show you because you can't see all of them. You'll have to wait for the book. You don't get to see him running uh, with the wolves or him with the yetis. He saves the baby yeti. But you do get to see Blah Blah wondering if he should join a circus to become a fire breather or perhaps join a rodeo to bust Bronx. Anyways, this book is great. Please go to blahblahkids.com and check out the pre-order specials. Uh, some special bonuses there along with getting your book signed by Nate and Forrest and also being a part of making the show happen, Lord willing, and uh, many other cool things. So head to blahblahkids.com, get a copy for Under Your Tree.